Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. It's September 19th, 1991, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. When two German hikers, Erika and Helmut Simon, stumbled upon a dead body while walking in the Ötzl Alps today in history in 1991, they immediately alerted the authorities that someone had perished on the trail, possibly quite recently. What they didn't know was that their estimation about when the man in question had died was a little out. Yeah, it's actually fairly common for the bodies of mountaineers to remain in place because recovery efforts can be too risky. I suspect a lot of people will have seen, you know, on those dangerous peaks of Everest, there are around 200 frozen bodies are often featured in documentaries and some of the most visible ones are often used as kind of grisly landmarks for climbers so there was plenty of reason to think that someone could have perished quite recently and that no one would have recovered the body and in the event poor weather meant that they couldn't get the body off of the mountainside and they ended up first collecting various things that were found around the site uh, an axe leather clothing the earliest hints that someone (laughs) had been there for quite some time that's it like it's not like he was carrying a lonely planet he was carrying (laughs) A copper axe and leather shoes. (laughs) Yeah, he was finally freed from the ice on the 23rd of September. So we're talking four days after he was first spotted. But a team who used ice picks to literally, you know, dig him out of the ice. He was then put in a body bag and flown by helicopter to a nearby town, where he was then placed in a coffin and driven in a hearse to the Institute (laughs) of Forensic Medicine in Innsbruck. Well, I suppose the issue would have been, let's respect this cadaver first and foremost, because it could be a recent deceased person, right? And they might have, at the very least, grandchildren around who are missing them and and wonder where he is. But then once experts started looking at this body, initial suspicions began to ferment. As you say, partly due to the props that were around him as well, that he might be a few thousand years old. What was astonishing is that they then subsequently calculated he was 5,300 years old, older than Stonehenge, the Pyramids, the Roman Empire and Gilgamesh. So he was nicknamed Ertzi after the region in which he was found, which is on the border between Austria and Italy, and pretty much instantly got the attention of the international press, who wanted to know... What was he doing there? Because the position that the body was in when it was found was unusual, as well as its preservation. It was also natural mummification. You know, this is a process that had been done by ice rather than people doing it to him in a sort of ceremony. It usually occurs in more kind of arid environments, places like bogs or swamps. But this is also a good place for it to happen. Anywhere where you're deprived of oxygen, it can occur. And that's what happened here. But bear in mind that this is a good few hundred years before Egyptians really began mummifying their dead intentionally. And it gives you a sense of why this was exciting to archaeologists. Yeah, initially, it was suggested that he could have frozen to death in a blizzard, which obviously seems like a pretty, you know, standard way to die when you're in the Alps, or that he had been a human sacrifice. That theory seems to be 
been influenced by the discovery of bog bodies like the Tolland Man and Elling Woman, who were both thought to be victims of ritual executions. And then in 2001, they did a CT scan and x-rays that revealed a flint arrowhead embedded in his left shoulder. There was also signs of a head injury and what seemed to be maybe defensive wounds on his hands and wrists, suggesting that he had died in a violent attack. We're not sure why, but it could be that he was a little bit sluggish under attack because he had just eaten. They have also managed to conduct detailed studies of his undigested last meal, which revealed he had recently eaten wild ibex, red deer meat and wheat, possibly in the form of porridge. I mean, it's already an incredibly unusual find, but now it's particularly interesting because it's got this unusual cause of death rather than just an accident. This is now something that looks rather more intentional. You could call it a cold case. Oh, <laughs> you could. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and researchers now think that he may have been on the run. You know, that adds to the fascination. And, and the reason that they think that is because of this uh, blow to the back of the head. You know, he wasn't just shot from a distance. This was people who were hunting him and wanted him not just injured, but very much dead. But also the fact that the arrowhead was buried inside him, but the back of the arrow had been removed, but his copper axe remained on him all point towards the idea that he was actually quite an important person. To have a copper axe then, Mm. it's about a thousand years before academics thought that man had discovered metal ore. So to have a copper axe would have marked you out as some sort of leader or an important person or innovator. And then for someone to get close enough to withdraw the arrow from you so that they're not identified as the person who killed you but not take your valuable tool because everyone knew who it belonged to, does indicate that this is some kind of assassination. Which is weird because, you know, we do a lot of history on this show, like a lot of Western history in general, from the perspective of kings and queens, nobles and aristocracy, as if they're the only important people. And I'm often thinking, we're only talking about these people because people bother to keep records of them. But I mean, you know, there are lots of common people who are much more interesting and could tell us just as much about the human experience. You find this cadaver 5,000 years later... And it turns out it probably is some kind of noble who is more important. Yeah. Like, it's not yeah. just some dude. Like he had this copper thing and, and probably was a celebrity in his own world then. So Utzi's genome was first sequenced in 2012, but then there was a second analysis really recently this year, which has produced an even more detailed genetic profile that reveals that he was descended from a population who had migrated from modern-day Turkey into southern Europe a few thousand years before this. So the recent analysis confirmed that he actually did have dark eyes and skin. You know, models have been made of him and stand in museums, and they usually show him as, you know, kind of Celtic, Nordic-type figure, when the reality seems to be that the dark skin that he had isn't just a result of the mummification process that actually is pretty close to what he would have looked like dark eyes dark skin dark hair although he did have genetic markers for boldness as well as lactose intolerance uh, and he had possibly also contracted Lyme disease well one of the genetic investigations shows that he has 19 living relatives in Sardinia Um, (laughs) so I guess that description of slightly olivey skin does go along with that doesn't it yeah, he, uh, he had this rather rare Y-chromosome mutation known as GL91 uh, that is really unusual. And so there's this new push to find out exactly how many people living across Italy and Switzerland, kind of the area where he was discovered, he's related to. And you can also, by the way, you know, even if you don't think that you're related to him, you can also get in touch with a certain amount of his experience yourself because you can visit his former gravesite. There are now 
guided tours to the alpine slope where Ötzi was discovered. I mean, if that sounds a bit too adventurous, you can visit Ötzi's remains. They are held in a special cold cell at the South Tyrol Museum of Archaeology in Bolzano on the Italian side of the border. There was a little bit of diplomatic toing and froing because the body was found so close to the border and also the fact that you know the border isn't particularly clearly demarcated in the middle of the actual Alps. Um, visitors can view him and among the visitors were the Simons, the, the German hikers who found him originally, Helmut and Erika Simon. They felt a really close bond with Ötzi and they visited the museum several times a year. Helmut even had a badge which read Discover of Ötzi, which he wore when out in the mountains. Yeah, well, the Simons also felt entitled to their share of the millions of euros that Ötzi had brought to Bolzano, the restaurants, the hotels and the tourist operations. Um, and as a result, actually took the government of Bolzano to court because the um, original compensation, if you can call it that, or reward that they were offered for finding him was 10 million lira, uh, which was equivalent to about 6,000 euros. And the reason that the Bolzano Council had come up with that number is, uh, they argued, that it had had to bear all these expenses of creating this specially refrigerated exhibit for Ötzi's remains, and that's expensive. He has to be kept at minus 30 degrees. So they took uh, that decision to court, and in 2008 uh, were finally offered €150,000, 30 times what they were originally offered as a reward. But by then, Helmut had died. Um, ironically killed in a hunting accident on the ice, not that far from where they found Ertzi. Yeah, I mean, it's often described as being near the site of well, Ertzi's discovery. It's you know, like 200 enough. miles away. Yeah, it's, like, <laughs> it's also in the Alps. OK, I mean, I'm slightly guilty of getting carried away with the whole curse of the mummy thing. Have you seen this? Oh, no. yeah. This is like, it, it's like people thought, oh, well, there's a curse of Tutankhamun, so there must be some kind of curse around this <laughs> it one. Is like All that. mummies have curses. Um, so... Basically, there have been a lot of unusual deaths connected to people that have touched Ertzi. Over 30 years, some of the people connected to it have died. But some of them are weird. So the head of the forensic team, Dr Rainer Henn, died in a car crash on his way to give a lecture about the frozen remains. Um, okay, that was like his job, so yeah, okay. It's like his, his main find, the main thing he's been involved in. Um, Kurt Fritz, the alpine expert who led Dr Henn to Ertzi's body, died in an avalanche. Okay. And it was his job to be in the Alps. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. Uh, Rainer Herzl, who filmed Ertzi's removal from the mountain, died at the age of 47 from a brain tumour. Oh, I thought they were all going to have poetic deaths and he would have, like, been crushed to death by his film equipment or something. This is just sad. Yeah, it's just people randomly dying. But also, hold on, hold on. Then within an hour of Helmut Simon's funeral... Dieter Wernicke, who was the head of the mountain rescue team, sent to find Helmut, died of a heart attack within an hour of his funeral. That's sad, Ollie. These are all such sad examples. I thought it was going to be like a decapitated head was just found with like a threatening note or something from a mummy. Yeah, (laughs) Come back to us when you've got a copper axe in the middle of the night. That's uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's the death we're after. (laughs) Tomorrow. Proved to be basically a bit of a psycho. The Cardinals were kind of scared of him. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.